How many people are married here? There's a lot of you, right? Yeah. You guys did you guys did vows at your wedding, right? You know, I, I've I've had the privilege to do one wedding as a pastor so far, and um, they're still married after two years plus. With so, we did something right, I think. Uh, but the uh, the vows are an important part of the wedding, and you know, we, some people write their own vows, but you got the traditional ones, right? For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. Those can be difficult words, though, when you really think about it. They, they can be hard, um, you know, but they show faithfulness even through difficult times. You know, we're not, I'm not sure that, any, that everybody's totally thinking about the full implications of what you're saying when you say those words, when you say those vows. You know, you think about in sickness and in health. I don't know that you're thinking about emergency room visits or expensive medical bills caring for your spouse when they're sick. For better or for worse, you don't consider bouts of depression or addiction or aging. A lot of people are, are dreaming of their future life. They're, they're, they've got the, the good parts that they're really thinking about, and, and they probably have a plan for their life, really, that they're considering. But the vows are still important, and they do show faithfulness faithfulness throughout. We're continuing our series, or actually we're finishing our series today. We've called this Behold, Our Savior is Here. And throughout the series, we've been looking at all the different people that surround the Christmas story. We've looked at responses from each every week. We've kind of looked at two groups or two people every week. So in week one, just as a reminder, if you weren't here, we had Zechariah and Mary, and they both got some amazing news from an angel that, that would be impossible without divine intervention. But Zechariah, they had two different responses to it. Zechariah responded with unbelief. You know, he asked the question, how can I be sure of this? But Mary, when given the news of her son, was faithful in her response. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Two weeks ago, we looked at the, the highest person in the land, King Herod, and the lowest, some of the lowest in the shepherds. And again, we had two responses. You had Herod who loved his power and, and he wanted to keep that power as much as possible. And so what did he do? He ordered the, well, he, he tried to figure out where the baby was born, or tried to figure out where the baby was exactly under the pretense of going to worship him. And yet, he really wouldn't. He would have killed him. And we know this because he ordered the, the murder of all the boys under the age of two when he didn't find out where the baby was. But then we see the shepherds, these lowly people who are just out in their fields watching their flocks and an angel, a host of heavenly beings appears and tells them about Jesus. And they go and they meet Jesus and and they praise and they glorify God. And then they get to go and spread the good news. What a response. They worship. They actually worship, not, not what Herod was going to do. Last week, we looked at Simeon and Anna, two older folks who were like everybody else in Israel, waiting for the Messiah with hopeful expectancy. And again, we've got two responses kind of similar this time, though. Simeon 
he is, we're told that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, Lord, which you've prepared in sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people Israel. He's kind of prophesying that it wasn't just for Israel that Christ came, that the Messiah came. It was for all nations. And then we see Anna, and Anna gives thanks to God, and then she spreads the good news to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now today we're going to look at another character, one who, I don't know, gets overlooked a ton, but might be overlooked a little bit. His name is Joseph, the husband of Mary. A little background on Joseph. He's, we, we know his lineage from the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. We see that he is descended from the same line of David and Abraham, which is a Pretty, pretty awesome line to be descended from, I would say. Matthew 1.16 says, it gives his line, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So we know he's, his descent is pretty amazing. We also know that he was a carpenter or craftsman in, in some kind of trade. In Matthew 13.55, when Jesus is, is around and he's, he's preaching in his local area where he grew up, you know, the people are a little skeptical and they ask this question, you know, well, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? It's like we know him. How is he doing these things? Isn't he the carpenter's son? There's talk too about where Jesus is mentioned as being a carpenter in Mark which he probably learned from his earthly father, probably a trade that he learned. So let's look at Joseph's story as we see it in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18, where it says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. All right, see, so we've got Mary. She's pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about Mary, but first century, um, first century engagements, different than what it would be from today. You know, most likely they were arranged, but they were also taken incredibly seriously. It's basically like you're married already, even though you're not living together. And if you wanted to break off the engagement, you had to actually kind of file papers for divorce to get out of it. Well, then Mary is found to be pregnant. Now, try and put yourself in Joseph's shoes and kind of imagine how he would have felt. You know, he knows two things. He knows how babies are made, and he knows he didn't do that. So... That's not good from his perspective. Now, imagine that you're, you're Joseph and Mary comes to you with a story of how she got pregnant. Well, an angel came and visited me and told me that the Holy Spirit was going to make me pregnant. <laughs> okay. It's not making it better. 
Now, it's possible she told him the story before, told him what had happened when the angel came, when Gabriel came to him, but it, it doesn't seem likely since he's planning on divorcing her, right? Now, this culture, it's, it, there is a, like a shame element in this culture, right? Because either they had sex before they were married, which is not what God wants, like that's not the best, well, what, what's, it's against what is God's best for you, or she committed adultery, which is also not what God wants, right? But it says that he is a, he's faithful to the law, which translated literally, he, he's a righteous man. Joseph's a righteous man. So he has in mind to divorce her, we see, but first century engagements, again, difficult. So they can be ended in two ways. Well, really, there's three ways. The first way, if we go strictly by the law in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, if, if you go strictly by the law, you would take her out and then have her executed by stoning. That was rare in the first century. Like, it would, wouldn't happen all that often, um, apparently. The, more, more thing, the thing that would happen more often was divorce. And you could do divorce kind of two different ways. You could do it publicly. Like you could drag her out and be like, I'm going to divorce her. And then all of the shame gets put on her, really. Or you can do it quietly. And that's what Joseph was planned on doing. And when you do it quietly, you know, some of that shame is going to be put on you, too. Joseph really didn't seem like he wanted to, well, it says that he didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace. So he's, he's taking a, some of it on himself. And because it's not like somebody's not going to know what happened. Um, you know, you can only hide a baby for so long. But eventually, people are going to find out. Or they're going to notice. Be like, gaining a little weight in this area here. And I bet they weren't quite as uh, couth as we are today. Because I don't ask that question. I don't. I'm smarter than that. <laughs> but... You know, somebody's going to figure it out. So there's, there's, there's still the shame element, and he's going to take a lot of that on. But he's also just trying to spare her some dignity. But we continue in the story, and we see in verse 20, it says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, we see that he considered divorce, which means that he thought about it. He wasn't rash in action. He, he thought about it. And then an angel appears to Joseph in a dream. He, he's called son of David, which, you know, goes back a few generations. It's not what you would normally say to somebody, you know, like, I'm Nick, son of Bob. You know, that would be me. Joseph would be Joseph, son of Jacob, I think it was. So you normally would go to your father with that. But the angel called him son of David with that, that kingly line that he's a part of. And then he tells him 
Don't be afraid. But it's a little bit different than one we've seen so far with the don't be afraid. Because with Mary, Zechariah, the shepherds, the angel says, do not be afraid. And it's because an angel is scary, like absolutely terrifying. Um, And he might have had to say that to Joseph. We just don't get that one recorded on here. But what he does say is he's saying, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And then he gives the explanation. He says, the baby is from the Holy Spirit. And you're to give him the name Jesus. And it's, Jesus is a, it's a form of Joshua. Joshua is the Hebrew, or the, you know, what we would say the Hebrew word is. Um, and, and the name means God saves. And it talks about, he will save us from our sins. Psalm 130 verse 8 says, he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And then we see the fulfilled prophecy that he says, which comes from Isaiah 7.14, where it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. And so what's his response? He's gotten all this news, and, and now he's got two ways that he could go. Really. So what's his response? Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So he does what the angel of the Lord commands. He takes Mary home as his wife, but he doesn't consummate his marriage with her. He's waiting. He's trying to keep everything as above board as possible. And then when the census comes about, he takes her down to Bethlehem, to the town of David, where she gives birth to a son, and they give him the name Jesus. And then what we see is he takes that fatherly role that he has now very seriously because he protects his child. He does it first by escaping to Egypt. Matthew 2.13 says, When they had gone, the, the they there is the magi that had come. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. So he protects the baby, he protects his wife, and they go to Egypt to get away from Herod, who was going to try and kill um, all the children there. And then he protects them when they come back as well. Because instead of going back to uh, the, the southern part of Judea, they go north to Galilee, into Nazareth. Matthew two nineteen. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. And so he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. You see the protection that he has for, for his son. What do we see with, with Joseph here? 
we see obedience to God, right? He is obedient and faithful to the Lord. We see it before the angel talks to him because he is called righteous. But we also see it after the angel talks to him. And for us, what God asks us can be difficult, right? It's not always easy because we have our plans. We've got our dreams. We've got our hopes. But sometimes we've got to put those on hold because we need to be obedient to God. And Joseph was. You know, he, that's probably wasn't what he had in mind that was going to happen when he was pledging to get married to Mary. And sometimes we don't, we, we know that what we want to do is not what God's best is. And so we should not do that. We should obey the Lord. We also see that he loved his family. And he protected them. You know, he adopts Jesus, really, much like God now adopts us as his children. He took care of his, his wife, Mary, and, and his adopted son. And it's interesting, um, you know, you see throughout the, the New Testament where it talks about caring for widows and orphans a lot. There's an author, Daniel Darling, who wrote a book called The Characters of Christmas, and he talks about Joseph, and he says, Joseph exhibited the true spirit of adoption. It's a vivid picture both of God's adoption of us as his children in God, in Christ, but also the call of every believer, or the call every believer has in welcoming into our homes and communities the world's most vulnerable and forgotten. And he goes on to say that it was Jesus' brother, James, who would later write that true religion is defined by care for orphans and widows. James 1.27. Then he quotes Russell Moore, where Russell Moore says, Did the image of Joseph linger in James's mind as he inscribed the words of an orphan-protecting living faith? We don't know, but it could. We really don't have a whole lot mentioned of Joseph after this, after the Christmas story. He's, he's talked about directly in Luke chapter 2, where... Um, they, they go to Jerusalem for the Passover, and then they leave Jesus there as they're going back up north. Uh, and Jesus is just in the temple, amazing all the people with his, you know, smarts. I mean, he's God, so that seems like it's pretty easy. But, um, but he's mentioned directly there, and then he's kind of mentioned to the side on, on a few things. But, but what we see is... is Joseph was still faithful after that. You know, he was faithful to take, take his family to Jerusalem every year for, for Passover. And we know that Jesus was a carpenter, like his earthly father. We know that from Mark 6, 3. And, you know, that, that would mean that Joseph would have taught him. Joseph likely would have passed away with an untimely death because we don't see him at the cross with his mother and, and Jesus entrusts John to care for his mother. But what we see in the small little glimpse that we get in Joseph's life, we see a faithful man of God. We see a faithful husband, and we see a faithful father. And honestly, us guys, that should be what we strive to be, faithful. 
but all of us can be faithful to the Lord. And we can do that because of what we are celebrating tomorrow. He sent his son to save us. We celebrate his birth, but we also remember what he came to do, which was to die on a cross for our sin, to take our punishment, our penalty with him, take it all on him, all of the sins of the world. He put on himself on that cross. And now we are free from that when we've put our faith and our trust and our hope in Christ. We want to be faithful to God because he is faithful to us. And so that's what we should strive to be. And when we do that, we can be a faithful father, a faithful husband, faithful sons, daughters, wives, mothers, all of that. To be faithful to the Lord. And we do that because of Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so faithful that you sent your son to live a humble life, to be born in a very small town and to be placed in a manger to two parents, one a teenage girl, but the other a faithful man. A righteous man. Or I don't think you, you don't do anything by accident. So I know that you picked those two to raise your son here on earth. And, and it's amazing to think about why you would have done that. Because you knew that they would help raise him to be the man he would become. And, and to be able to go to the cross on our behalf. Lord, I pray that those of us here today, that we would take that example of Joseph and try our best to be faithful to you. because you have been faithful to us. Father, we come to the point in our service where we meditate on, where we think about, and we come around the table to remember your, your son's death on the cross. We take the, the juice representing his blood that was spilled. We take the bread representing his body, which was broken for us. And we thank you, Lord. Thank you that you thought so much of your creation that you didn't leave us in a lurch. You didn't leave us where we were. But 2,000 years ago, you sent your son 
to be born in a stable, to be placed in a manger. be sinless for us. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.